What's up? Welcome in to the J.C. Gonzalez Sports Podcast. I'm your host, J.C. Gonzalez, and it's been too long. I wasn't in studio last week for Thanksgiving, and man, I gotta tell you guys, I missed it. Missed recording, you know, being in studio, talking sports. Uh, it's what I love to do, but I uh, love spending time with the family. We're back in studio. We're back than ever before. Got a lot of college football on the show today. The season's coming down the stretch. We got a new top 10 NFL teams, and we're getting back into red zone. Went 3-2 and two before taking Thanksgiving off a couple weeks ago. And I'll try to keep the winning streak going. We've had a couple of good weeks back-to-back. So let's jump right in. Since its inception, college football is the one sport that just cannot seem to figure out the right way to determine a champion. For 100 years, if any poll, oh, and I mean any poll, ended the year with your team as number one, you had the right to claim a national championship. And then the NCAA was like, uh, this is stupid. And invented the BCS. And we saw how that turned out. At the end of the day, no matter how many teams we put into this college football playoff, someone at the end is going to feel slighted. And everyone's calling for this A-team playoff. At the end of the day, the gap between Alabama and the A-team is a canyon. They have no chance. Michigan, after what we saw against Ohio State, should not be playing for a national championship. And neither should UCF. I'm sorry, they lost their quarterback. So for all of you playoff expansion people, I can see six. That's the way the NFL does it. You can make an argument for it. But I've kind of changed my mind on this. I I used to be one of those people who thought uh, six was the answer, especially when USC had that one year where they they started badly and really well. But in the NFL, there's a lot of parity between a six seed and a one seed, right? Like a six seed can get hot and go win the Super Bowl. We've seen it a bunch of times. But there's never been a time in college football where I feel like, you know, the eight seed got slighted. If they just the eight seed just got a chance, man, they could go win it. Like the difference between the number one seed in the NFL, like the Patriots, and the the sixth seed, I don't know, the uh, the Giants, I guess that one year, is nowhere near the gap between what Alabama UCF, you know, is today. Alabama's just too good. They're miles above. And 18, there isn't that much talent to go around in college football at that level. And like I said, when I look back at years past, I can't think of an eighth-ranked team in the country that was on the same level as the number one or number two team in the country. And they would have won if they were just, you know, given a chance. I've never felt that way. And at the end of the day, we really have an expanded playoff. Honestly, it's the regular season, and the regular season has to matter for something. Georgia-Alabama in the SEC title game for Georgia is a quarterfinal. and it's, a, it's an elimination game. And I'm sorry, if you lose to Alabama, it's unfair to them and to the other teams to give you, know, give you another chance, especially when a, with the, you took a bad loss to LSU, who lost 29-0 at home to Alabama. And so when we talk about expanding the playoff, this game is rendered meaningless because Georgia with a loss would still get in. Because Georgia would, is still definitely one of the eight best. I think Georgia is one of the four best teams in the country. But if we make it six or or eight teams, we're talking about uh, per playoff seeding this game? That's not really relevant, honestly. Georgia will give everything for this game because this is the biggest game they have. You know, this this is a quarterfinal game. I mean, if Georgia wins, they are in the playoff, and I think Alabama is in with a loss. And I just can't see right now someone trying to convince, especially this year. This is a great year to see. If we had a six or eight team playoff this year, 
just how much of a joke the first round would be. Like, this is why College Football does not need an 18 playoff, honestly. If the 8 seed is UCF and they lose by 40 to Alabama, like, what is the point of that? Just keep that in mind when, you know, that there's a huge quality gap between these teams that people aren't really, they don't realize. And that they need to take a deeper look before they, you know, you'll call, call for the playoff to be expanded and that, you know, UCF needs a chance. I mean, they don't stand a chance. I'm sorry. Maybe they can go win in New Year's Six. Maybe they go in 26-0. Get in a real conference if you want to go to the national championship. That's all I have to say on that. Sticking within college football, however, um, where I was just talking about the playoff, as it stands at four teams, it's pretty much taking shape. Notre Dame's in. Deserving or not, um, they're undefeated, and they're a brand that helps college football bring in money. Uh, <laughs> and whether or not they should be in a conference, honestly, but they're not. Clemson is in because they're not going to lose. Um, I just do not see them losing. Alabama, I think, is in no matter what because I, I do think they'll defeat Georgia. And even if they don't, I think they'll still get in with a loss. But to be honest speaking, I mean, I think Alabama – has a better chance of blowing out Georgia than Georgia does of beating Alabama. Just because, you know, quarterbacks like Jake Fromm just don't give Alabama trouble. Don't keep Nick Saban up at night. And that's what I'm about to get into in a, in a second. So assuming the top three holds, we're down to Oklahoma and Ohio State as, you know, everyone else. And the committee made their stance the other night when they put out the rankings. They put Oklahoma at five, Ohio State at six. Why do I think that is absolutely the correct decision? I think Oklahoma, I think they are 100% correct. If there is, you know, assuming both teams win their conference championships, if they, you know, both teams win the championship, there is no scenario in which Ohio State should get in over Oklahoma. I don't care about that Ohio State exposing Michigan at home. I don't care that Oklahoma can't stop a nosebleed. Losing by 29 points to Purdue is an indictment, and it's a death blow. You cannot make the playoffs. This is an important precedent the committee has to set. You're out. Done. Finished. Eliminated. The regular season has to mean something. And if we're going to debate of who's deserving, getting embarrassed like that means you don't deserve to get in. I don't care how good your win at Michigan looks, or at home against Michigan looks. Oklahoma is the kind of team that will give Alabama trouble. Mobile quarterbacks, smart offensive coaches, explosive weapons can catch Alabama out. Remember Johnny Menzel, Texas A&M. This is the best Oklahoma offense we've ever seen. They've beaten Alabama, remember. Oklahoma has. This is the best Oklahoma offense we've ever seen. They're going to give Alabama a game, at the very least, in a playoff game. They're putting up video game numbers. I'll be honest, Ohio State does not stand a chance. I mean, I don't see a scenario where they win the game. I think Georgia's better than Ohio State. Uh, this might be the best Alabama team we've seen, especially offensively. And I don't think anyone's going to beat them, I'll be honest here. But I think Oklahoma will give them a game, guaranteed. I think Ohio State's a 30-point cakewalk. Right into the national championship game. They might get a game against Clemson. Oklahoma has the chance to avenge their only loss by three to a hated rival on a neutral field. And Ohio State has no excuse. You make the call on that one. It's pretty obvious to me. I, I just... I just really, when you sit down and you take a look at it, come on, Ohio State fans. 
Come on. You lost by 29 to Purdue. No team has ever made the playoffs with a loss like that. And I think the committee sets a dangerous precedent if they do allow an Ohio State into the playoffs this year, barring Oklahoma losing to Texas again. Because if they do put in Ohio State, and Ohio State's gotten in controversially before, remember. If they do put in Ohio State here, that shows that you, you can have a stinker against an average team that lost to Eastern Michigan and still you know, win a national championship. And I think that's – or have a shot at winning a national championship. And I just – I don't think you can send that message. There needs to be certain losses that are just as you know damaging, season-ending, as losing two games is to most teams. Like we're not talking about any of the two-loss teams. Two-loss team probably will never make the playoff. There should be one losses – that are equivalent of two losses. I think losing to Purdue by 29 is worth two losses, in my opinion. Like, Ohio State should be considered the same as a two-loss Big Ten champion should be considered. That's my take on that. But you make the call, Ohio State, Oklahoma. I'm on the Oklahoma side of things, personally. Let's segue into this. I'm going to talk about my top 10 NFL teams. It's been a, it's been a couple weeks, and there's been some shakeups actually. Um, as the season's begun to take shape, some interesting twists, especially in the NFC East. A huge game tonight between two of my top ten teams. We'll get into more of that later in the show. Got it up coming up on Red Zone. But let's get it started. Number ten, the Dallas Cowboys. Look, the stars are aligning in Jerry World. They got a three-game win streak, and just like that, Alex Smith goes down, the Eagles have the Super Bowl hangover, the Cowboys are in prime position to win the NFC East. They can only win one way. This is It's an issue. But when they get Zeke going, the defense plays well, they're hard to beat. They got a great defense, like I, said, like I mentioned a minute ago, Leighton Van Der Esch, the rookie linebacker from Boise State, Idaho native, eight-man football, has been a great story. Amari Cooper has become a huge part of what they do on offense. He's worth a first-round pick, clearly. I mean, what were they going to do with that pick? Draft a receiver. They got a receiver better than anyone they would have drafted for that pick. I love it. Cowboys look like they're in prime position to make the playoffs. They have a chance to make a statement tonight against the Saints, the number one team in the NFL. And if they can do it, Jerry World Dallas will be rocking behind this team. Now, uh, I will say to pump the brakes just a little bit on this on this win streak, because their quarterback is limited. This is what I, uh, I'm afraid of for Dallas in terms of going deep in the playoffs. Um, I think they can make it just because the division's bad. But you can't really... Teams, and you'll see this tonight, teams are going to try to take away Zeke and make Dak beat them. They'll stack the box, and New Orleans does that better than anybody. Okay? So tonight's game, you're going to have to see Dak make some throws if Dallas are going to want to win. And Amari Cooper will get separation... Dak's not really an anticipation thrower. He needs his guys to be open. So if the Cowboys are going to win tonight and win down the line against teams like the Saints, they'll need Amari Cooper. They'll need you know their receivers, their weapons to get open for Dak to find them so that he can take some of the pressure off Zeke and this offensive line. Cowboys at 10. Number 9 is the Indianapolis Colts. And look, man, the resurgence of Andrew Luck just absolutely amazes me. I liked the Colts going into this year because I had a good feeling about how Andrew Luck would play, and they disappointed me early. And But at the end of the day, they're right back where I thought they'd be, which is fighting for the playoffs in a competitive AFC. And they don't have a lot of weapons or big defensive names. This team definitely still has holes. They're a couple drafts away from really being a Super Bowl contender, I think. But look, man, Andrew Luck has the offensive guy that he's always wanted. They miss him in Philly, Frank Reich. 
and they have a rebuilt solid offensive line. This is something he's never had his career, in his entire career. You know, first you know six years in the league, he's getting pounded. It feels like constantly, but he's back. And I love what the Colts have done here. Honestly, I mean they've they've really built this into what it is all on Andrew Luck. He, you know, he has the, the shoulders to be able to carry a team. We've seen it, you know, early in his career, and he's showing he can still do it back from the injury. And you worry, you know, about you know shoulder injuries with quarterbacks. How does it affect them? Andrew Luck, proven he's still good to go, can carry this team. Colts looking good. I think the Colts will make the playoffs. Looking good. Number nine in the NFL. Number eight, I'm going to put the New England Patriots, and it's tough to put New England this low, um, but honestly speaking, this is more relative to past New England teams I'm going to compare them to. These guys just do not stack up defensively, if I'm being honest. They have no pass rush, and I just... Honestly, just I don't see these guys going to Arrowhead and winning in the playoffs right now. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, Tom and Bill get this thing right. I like what they're doing on offense. The offense looks like it's poised to have a big role, you know, end of the season, December, into the playoffs. Because you got Tom, of course. The offensive line's playing pretty well. You got Sony Michelle has been contributing extremely well, rookie running back out of Georgia. You've got Rob Gronkowski's back last week, gets a 34 yard touchdown catch. So they have the piece, you know, Josh Gordon, the deep threat. They, uh, you know, Julian Edelman, they have pieces to have a really, really good offense. The question is, can the defense put pressure on opposing quarterbacks? Can they go into the big, you know, destinations of the AFC and win? They're not looking like they're going to get home field advantage throughout this year, which means odds are, barring upsets, they're going to have to go into Kansas City and win a playoff game, maybe an AFC title game. They're going to get back to the Super Bowl. I don't think they can do it. It's tough to put New England at eight, but I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, there are the Pats. Number seven, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the untold story of this Steelers team is their defensive line. It's solid. And everybody knows they got maybe the one-two, best one-two receiver punch in the league. You got Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. Ben's airing it out like never before. 40 passes against Denver. I like this team. And, you know, seven feels kind of harsh. But there are some really good teams ahead of them this year. My concern with the Steelers is... Um, you know, obviously they're not at full strength anymore with without Le'Veon Bell on the team. And I, I'm not trying to say, and James Conner has not been as good in these past couple weeks, especially against Denver. He struggled against an elite run defense, which if we get to a hypothetical Super Bowl situation, right, and we're talking about them playing a Saints who have a really good run defense, you could see Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball 40 times again. I'm not sure that's a recipe for winning for the for the Steelers. They're not exactly... They're not a schemed offense like the Rams or the Chiefs. And even those teams don't typically throw the ball 40-plus times a game like you saw in Denver. And that raises a bit of concern for me with, with Pittsburgh in terms of is James Conner really Le'Veon Bell? I'm not so sure on that one. And that's why I, I don't like the Steelers as much as I like some of the teams above them. They're at seven, but they're a really good number seven. At six, it's the Houston Texans. And look, man, I got to say I was wrong on this one. I've had my Deshaun Watson doubts, I'll be frank, but I'm totally on board now. Like early in the season, when they went 0-3, I picked them to make the playoffs before the season, yeah, and then they start the year 0-3, and I'm like, man, did we give Deshaun too much hype too early? Because a lot of it started with that Seahawks game, right, a defense that was crumbling, and so I was like, look, man, the Seahawks are not very good, and so I was like, Deshaun's overhyped, but now I see it. You know, the dude is an absolute winner. And they have big names on both sides of the ball that are performing. DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, Lamar Miller playing well. They don't have an elite running game, but he's been doing pretty well. 
and they did well, especially um, impressed me running the football against Tennessee, which is known for a solid run team. It's pretty hard to run on Tennessee, and they did really well winning that game. Eight-game winning streak for the Texans. I called them my AFC dark horse a couple weeks ago. They keep proving me right. The Texans, I think, are the first team in NFL history to start 0-3 and bounce back to 8-3, winning eight straight. They look like they're on top of this division. Andrew Luck will try to keep up with them. But right now, man, Houston is flying. Texans at 6. And number 5, I, I these guys are the dark horse of the NFC, man. I called it the Panthers, but I was wrong. Honestly, I did not see this coming from the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy is one of the best coaches I have seen in a long time. I mean, he is right there for me with, like, with Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Sean McVay as the elite offensive minds of this league. And the fact that he can plug and play this well with Chase Daniel, uh, that speaks volumes, man. Like, I love Sean McVay, but the minute Jared Goff doesn't play, be it for preseason or resting starters for the playoffs, the Rams are like 0-6, something like that. I'm not sure exactly, but and they have looked awful in those games with Sean Mannion playing. That's not the case in Chicago. They went on Thanksgiving to Detroit with Chase Daniel as their quarterback and won. That's impressive. Matt Nagy can scheme guys. They don't have the elite running game of some of the teams above them. That's the, the thing that separates them from the other, the top four. And But their defense, their top eight uh, defensive players are all, like, or their best eight players are all on defense. <laughs> you hear that all the time on a, a Colin Coward show, and that's, on, um, that's from Pro Football Focus. But it speaks to the volumes of how you combine an elite offensive mind with an elite defense and you get something special in Chicago. They're 8-3. and three. Did not see that one coming before the season. Bears at 5. Number 4, it's the Los Angeles Chargers. And I'll admit, this is a lofty ranking, giving some of the ways um, you know teams like the Texans and the Bears have been playing. But I'm going to stick with the Chargers in my top 4. They got Joey Bosa back. Phillip Rivers has been having the career year You know we've all been talking about. And this is the most we've talked about the Chargers in a long time. And that's something we're not really used to. And they play a big, 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 big game without Melvin Gordon on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. That's going to tell us a lot about this team. They have yet to prove they can win the high-profile games. That's something the Chargers have never really had to do is go and win the big one. But this season, the expectation is there now. The Chargers are expected to go deep into the AFC playoffs. And this game in Pittsburgh is a preview of a playoff game. Honestly, this is a likely scenario. The Chargers will probably be the five seed because the Chiefs will be the one. And honestly, that's a they let's say they win on wild card weekend against you know a Texans team or yeah like a Texans, they're going to have to go to Pittsburgh and win. And if they can go do it in the regular season, that'll give me a lot more confidence moving forward. We'll see if they can. Can the Chargers be prime time? They've got the big names, they've got the star roster. Can they do it when it counts? Only team up in this top, really six with a defensive minded head coach in Anthony Lynn. Can they get it done? That's the, honestly, it's the un, underrated story of this team is how good the defense is. Chargers at four. Number three, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, man, I don't know if I see anyone in the AFC going into Arrowhead and winning a playoff game. And I love some of the other teams. But odds on the, uh, on the AFC Super Bowl favorites, are, it's the Chiefs for a reason. And they barely lost in New England and in Los Angeles. And I think that speaks volumes. That's, you know, they're not going to have to go to Los Angeles, and odds are they're not going to have to go to New England. And if they can get, I mean, if they get the Patriots at home, man, I think they're going to win that game. I think if they get the Steelers at home, they're going to win that game. Like, I just, it's hard for me to, 
you give me a matchup and it's in Kansas City at Arrowhead, freezing weather, the loudest stadium in North America for, for like football, and I'm just struggling to see any way where this team can't come out on top. You know, you got, you know, Pat Mahomes has proven he stepped up above that Alex Smith ceiling where things would fall off after September. And the Chiefs are finally going to live up to all that early season Andy Reid potential. We've seen they're still one of the Super Bowl favorites. They're the best team in the AFC. I think without a doubt, Chiefs at three. Number two is the Los Angeles Rams. And Aqib Tlaib is back and the schedule softens a degree, although a Sunday night football battle with the Chicago Bears looms in a couple weeks. And look, man, this team needs to get rolling heading into December and hope some teams can do them a favor. Because I'm not sure, even if my Rams can go into New Orleans and win a playoff game. I like their chances in L.A. I was at Saints Rams last year uh, in L.A., and the Rams looked pretty good. But uh, after I saw that game in New Orleans, yeah, a lot of things went the Saints' way, but a lot that game could have been over. And the Rams do well to fight back. But just as easily as it couldn't have been that big of a blowout to start with, there was also a scenario in that game where the Saints just poured on and it ends 42-7, okay? And that's why I think um, the Rams need this game in L.A., definitely. It's not the best home field advantage in the NFL by far, not even close. I mean, it'll be probably 65-35 Saints fans, 60-40, or Rams fans in the majority than Saints fans, but there'll be a lot of them there. There were for a regular season game last year, but... Yeah, if they can get the game in L.A., I think they're the better. I think they can – I don't know if they're better, but I think they can win the game. Now, let me put it that way, and I just don't see them going to the Superdome and beating the Saints, who are my number one team in the NFL in action tonight against the Dallas Cowboys. And look, man, Drew Brees is the MVP of the league. I can make a compelling case for Jared Goff in second, but the way Drew Brees has produced the season is undeniable. And the Saints look like just the clear favorites this year. They, they just seem like one of the all-time teams. They have the offensive line, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, the best run defense in football, an improving secondary, a great kicker, all the ingredients for Drew Brees' best ever team. I don't know if something will change between now and February. And we know the best team doesn't always win in football, especially when the playoffs come around. You make one mistake, you're out. But these guys are the clear favorites. Saints at one again. And that wraps up my top 10 NFL teams for the week. Um, getting some big matchups this week involving the top 10. Looking forward to the Thursday night game, man. Uh, I can't wait to talk about that in a minute. I know I've been talking about it already. The uh, the Saints-Cowboys game. It's just so intriguing to me. And I guess the Cowboys are just always the intriguing storyline in football. You know, like, <laughs> when the Cowboys are good, it's a storyline. When the Cowboys are bad, it's a storyline. It's just how it works, man, when they're America's team. But um, switching back over to college football, more specifically my USC Trojans, I was literally writing a segment to implore the university to hire Cliff Kingsbury of Texas, formerly of Texas Tech, as their offensive coordinator. But literally as I was prepping the show, they went and listened to me. And reportedly he is now USC's new offensive coordinator with two firm NFL offers that he's turning down to go coach in Hollywood. And look, this is a game changer. This is going to change the way we see this program. USC football looked dead in the water after last season, especially when it was announced they were keeping Clay Helton. I mean, from my perspective, all faith was lost. I was just like, how? They looked dead. They looked wasting talent, penalties. 
anemic offense with one of the most talented rosters in the country. It was bad. It was in a really bad place. But one of the big problems here that nobody was really talking about was that Helton was so insecure about his job throughout his first few years that he only hired his buddies who were no threat to his job at, at USC. And Lynn Swan could have easily fired Clay Helton. But he made Clay Helton fire, or I mean hired Cliff Kingsbury. That's the only way, that's the condition. You want to keep your job, you got to go get a star coordinator. And just like that, USC has found their home run Hollywood offensive coordinator. Dude developed Pat Mahomes and Baker Mayfield, runs an electric offense, the likes of which the Pac-12 South has never seen, and gone are the days of USC wasting their offensive talent. Clay's their offensive guy. And so, I mean, he got kind of emasculated here. I'm not going to lie. They said, your offense is so bad and wasting talent, we're going the complete opposite direction. This is the, the concepts that you see with the Rams, the Chiefs, the Bears, the stuff that's taking over the NFL, scheming guys open, quarterback-friendly systems, um, you know, relying heavily on the passing game, air raid concepts. This is what's taking over the NFL, and this is what USC will be running next year. You have never seen a USC offense like it. I guarantee it. We're talking 50 points a game. We're talking... You know, USC is going to become Oklahoma West. Yeah, 50 points a game, and if the defense can be competent, USC's right back to Rose Bowls, Pacto titles, and maybe even that elusive first-ever college football playoff appearance. This is one of the architects of the offensive schemes that are taking over the NFL. Remember that. He had two firm offers to go be an NFL offensive coordinator right after being fired at Texas Tech, and the dude couldn't coach defense. That's the issue there. And, you know, at USC, he's not going, that's not the problem. JT Daniels is going to thrive. And if he doesn't, they got five-star Bryce Young, who, interestingly enough, in eighth grade, got his first college offer from none other than Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. What do you know? And we'll see the best, finally, get the best out of the star receiver trio of Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughns. This is what we've been waiting for. This is one of the most talented teams in the country. And even with Clay Helton. They've got the guy to make it click. Immediately, USC should feel the impact. Helton's worst nightmare will be confirmed, though. Cliff is going to get all the credit if USC gets better. The TV's constantly going to be on him because, let's be real here, he looks like Ryan Reynolds. He's got the sunglasses and, the, um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pretty good-looking guy. And he's already established himself to be the leading candidate to replace his current boss. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Cliff Kingsbury is already the leading guy to be USC's next head coach. And I think USC will win now. Because USC can win with, you know, in spite of Clay Helton. Like I talked about, you can win with guys, you can win because of guys. USC will win because of Cliff Kingsbury, they will win with Clay Helton. Big difference there. But Clay Helton, I mean, what role is he going to play on this team? Because Clancy Pendergast is running the defense. And Cliff Kingsbury is running the offense. So is he really even the head coach anymore? I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, uh, I can't think of a better move by USC. This is what they needed to do to rescue this program. USC will be electric. And the only thing the Pac-12 has ever seen quite like it is Mike Leach at, Texas, or at uh, Washington State, also formerly of Texas Tech. And Washington State is winning you know, 10 games a year with no recruits in the most irrelevant city in the Pac-12. Pullman, Washington's in the middle of nowhere, if you guys don't know this. It is in the middle of nowhere. And it's the least relevant brand in the Pac-12. They are the smallest stadium, the least relevant historical team. They've done nothing ever. 
and Mike Leach is going and winning 10 games a year, was one game away from having a shot, maybe at making the college football playoff even. And now USC with the recruiting hotbed, all the talent, Hollywood, an easy sell, and you add in Cliff Kingsbury and an electric offense to that, this team could be back within a year. Get ready. We all thought Chip Kelly is the new big thing to run LA, and he still is going to have a big impact. But this could be a move that saves USC football. Good move by Lynn Swan. Good move by USC. Let's jump right into red zone. Uh, I've had a pretty good stretch, you know, picking the uh, I picked the best five NFL games this week. Um, we'll wrap up the show today. Uh, and massive showdown on Thursday night football between my number one and number ten team. I can't wait. Let's get it started. Jump right in. I got the New Orleans Saints defeating the Dallas Cowboys tonight, 24-20 on Thursday night football. Uh, why do I think that? We're, uh, we're closer than we're probably expecting this game. But I think the Saints will get the job done. Zeke gets limited by Cam Jordan in that powerful Saints running uh, defense. And that makes the Cowboys uncomfortable. The Saints will make Dak beat them. And Dallas' defense will play admirably. But they'll play short when uh, they'll fall short when New Orleans you know, makes them throw the ball deep down the field, goes for the vertical game, and they put their best corner on Amari Cooper. That uh, Amari Cooper will play a big role in this game and all the games the Cowboys play against elite teams going forward. Can he get open? Because that's what it'll take for the Cowboys to open up the field for Zeke Elliott through the middle. It's a lot of the stuff the Rams like to do conceptually. They like to, you know, throw the ball in the intermediate and the deep passing game to the outside of the field to their star receivers, Woods and Cooks, so that way they open up the room for Todd Gurley. Can the Cowboys do the same and open up the room for Zeke Elliott? They have to, you know, expand the field a bit, get New Orleans defense to commit to defending the passing game, not just stacking the box, but I don't think they'll be able to do it. Saints defeat the Cowboys, 24-20 get held by that Dallas defense, but not enough to win them the game. My next one, I got the Falcons defeating the Ravens on Sunday, 35-23 in Atlanta. Look, the Falcons defense is awful. Do not get me wrong about that. But Matt Ryan is easily having his best year post-Kyle Shanahan. And the Falcons are a great home team. And it's only a one-point spread, which is amazing to me. And I'm not a huge Lamar Jackson fan, okay? Everyone else is swooning. I see the limitations. Even a bad Atlanta defense is going to be able to take advantage of this. He is running the ball more times than any quarterback I've seen in my lifetime. And I just, honestly, he's not an NFL-caliber thrower of the football. And that's my concern here, especially in a league today that's dominated by, you know, offenses hurling the ball all over the field. Can Lamar Jackson keep up with Matt Ryan, even with the Falcons' poorest defense? No way. Falcons win this one bigger than you think, 35-23. Next up, I got the Texans defeating the Browns, 31-20. Uh, everyone's on this Baker Mayfield train now. And now keep in mind, he's been playing well. Yeah, he's a really accurate thrower of the football. But he has had insane offensive weapons and just tore up one of the worst statistical defenses in NFL history. And I didn't even, I, I, I'm not making this up. The Bengals are so bad. <laughs> They're the worst defense in the NFL, obviously, this year. And he couldn't even get the average passing yards that the Bengals were giving up this year. And that will not be the case against Houston, who are rolling at the moment, the defense playing well. And Deshaun Watson will go and get his Texans a home win. You can bank on that. Bigger than you think, Texans win 31-20 and cover. Another big game, Patriots defeat the Vikings 42-34 on America's Game of the Week on Fox. Kirk Cousins shrinks in the big games, despite what you saw last Sunday night against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Minnesota has the most underrated home field in the NFL. 
And that's a big reason they won that game, I feel. And Foxborough is the most daunting destination of the last decade is where they got to go next in a national TV game. And that can only mean one thing for Kirk. Trouble. Brady in the past, I was talking about how the offense is recovering, starting to roll. Sony Michelle, Rob Gronkowski, they win and cover offensive battle 42-34. And the big one, the last one of the night, Sunday night football. Steelers, Chargers from Pittsburgh. And I know I'm picking five home teams. Feels kind of weird, but I'll take the Steelers in a close one, 28-27. This game will be a battle. And without Melvin Gordon, West Coast team having to travel all the way to cold weather Pittsburgh, I'm just not feeling the Chargers in this one. Ben's going to be eager to redeem his terrible interception in the end zone against Denver last week. And the Chargers aren't used to being in the spotlight like this. They're not typically a primetime team. Pittsburgh is. Give me the Steelers in a tight one. All right, well, that wraps up the show today. Thank you so much for listening to the J.C. Gonzalez Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, J.C. Gonzalez, and I'll see you next week.